Good morning. Our scripture reading this morning is from Matthew chapter 22, verse 34 through 40. When the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? He said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On those two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This morning, as we begin this message, I would like to invite you to participate a bit. Um, I'm not going to ask you to say anything, but if you would speak to the people around you, perhaps on a couple of occasions, and write something in the comments, it will actually help our conversation here as a church and will actually help focus uh, some of the time I'm going to use tomorrow morning in the daily prayer. So here's the first question I want you to, ask, to want you to think about. During this time of self-quarantine, where is the focus of your attention most of the time? What do you most focus on most days during the self-quarantine? Think about that for just a sec. Maybe talk with the people around you. Maybe you're just going to point to the people next to you. It's on you. You, that's who I spend most of my time on. I can tell you what it is for me. Um, it's uh, this little girl. Uh, her name is Lindy. She is a seven-month-old Bernese Mountain Dog puppy. She's very, very cute. Last night, she ate $20 worth of strawberries in the middle of the night. She has destroyed two of our TV remotes and most of the cords that I use for charging my iPads and iPhones and such. Um, she is, it's a good thing she's cute because I end up focusing much more of my attention on her than I would like to, especially when I'm supposed to be in meetings. As a matter of fact, Beth is not even in the service today because she has taken Lindy for a walk, because if not, you would hear Lindy barking as part of the chorus. Uh, Lindy gets a lot of my attention during this quarantine time, and that's pretty joyful because a lot of the other attention of my life tends to go to things like the evening news, uh, the quarantine charts, the death rates, or my anxiety about my son who lives in Seattle and whose girlfriend works in a convalescent home, or my brother who lives in Northern Italy and has been um, uh, self-quarantining for weeks even before we did, and one of my students who is an Episcopal priest in New York City who leads a prayer time twice a week of compline prayer and every day times the prayer ends up with more and more names of people they know who are affected. Of course, I, I end up focusing a lot upon our, our work at Fuller and the number of friends and colleagues who have lost jobs already and many of us who are really anxious about a lot of things. It's hard not to focus on the things that most grab our attention because they most worry our hearts. And that's one of the things I've learned is that my attention tends to get fixed on whatever I focus on. And sometimes even that needs disrupting. Back years ago, when I was the college director at Hollywood Presbyterian Church, the campus that I spent most of my time on was USC. I would go down to USC about once a week, and I would meet with some students, and I would kind of pack up meetings uh, back to back. And it was easy just for me to tell them, I'll meet you at Tommy Trojan, and then we'll find a place to talk and crack up coffee or something. And most of the time, that worked just fine. But I remember one day, one of my students obviously uh, stood me up or forgot or something. And my entire plan was disrupted. And this was before the time of iPhones and iPads. 
So I didn't even have anything to distract myself. I was just standing there in front of Tommy Trojan, looking at all the students. And I realized that all of a sudden, everybody started speeding up as they were walking. And they were walking faster and faster. And they were stopped talking to each other. And then all of a sudden, I realized why. Because the bells went off overhead. It was the top of the hour. And everybody scurrying was late to class. And I looked at them kind of amused as I watched this kind of uh, explosion across the uh, across the square as people were running into classes. And I listened to the bells and then all of a sudden unconsciously I realized I was humming along with the bells. The carillon was playing, Lord of all to thee we raise, this our hymn of grateful praise. I was in the middle of USC's campus and For the Beauty of the Earth was playing overhead. And I was caught up in a worship service. And it dawned on me at that moment that I'd been there a lot of days. I'd been there a lot of times. I'd heard a lot of bells. And I'd never paid attention to the fact that the bells of USC were actually, at least back then, uh, calling me to worship. See, that's what worship does. Worship tends to be about disrupting our ordinary, everyday concerns, even our urgent concerns. Worship and Sabbath is about making a stop and pay attention to the things that are most important first and foremost. And I have to admit that in the midst of all of the pain of this pandemic, and it's been significant, there has been a part of it that has been a disruption that I now need to think about more deeply. Um, before the pandemic, I was traveling about 100,000 miles a year. I'm sure I'll go back to traveling. I have to, both for, for what I do for Fuller. But I began to wonder about the pace of it all. Uh, the number of meetings that I'm in back to back all day, I'm now I'm in a lot of Zoom meetings, but it's amazing how much more efficient they can be than other meetings I've been in. It's begun to realize the pandemic has disrupted my life and it's making me focus and ask some questions about what needs to be the first focus of my life. One of the reasons why I think this is really important, especially for us to be able to maintain this rhythm of worship uh, during the week, especially at a time when we can't gather, where we can't experience the joy of being able to see each other's face and give each other hugs and share a cookie with each other on the patio or something, is because it reminds us that worship is first and foremost not even about our gathering. It's about our giving our attention back to God. Uh, we need to be reminded that worship, even before there was worship in the sanctuary or in the in the um, uh, gatherings of people that we read about in the Psalms. Worship starts in the earliest days with people bringing offerings to God. Worship started before there were praise songs, there was offering. You brought the first fruits and you gave it to God. And it's this good reminder that we need to have our ordinary part of our life disrupted by giving our attention back to God. And that that attention begins to also help us hear things. When we turn our focus toward God, then it helps us to hear God's voice. Actually, Lindy's helping me learn this. Um, one of the very first things that I learned when I was trying to train this brand new puppy who seemed to have a very short attention span compared to other dogs we've had is that I needed to, instead of trying to immediately start training her to stop, stay, come, whatever, I needed to get her attention. So the very first command that I taught her, which was new for me, was to say, Lindy, look at me. And we would use a piece of a treat or something to reinforce her. And it was just to stop whatever she was doing and to look at us. Lindy, look at me. Lindy, not the squirrel, look at me. Not best shoe, look at me. Lindy, put down the TV remote, look at me. And by getting her attention to look at me, it allowed her then to hear my voice. And I think this is part of what worship is supposed to do. It's supposed to draw our attention back to God. It's God's way of once a week saying, look at me. 
And then hear, O Israel, hear what I have to say to you. Look at me, not the evening news, look at me. Look at me, not your falling 401ks. We'll come back to that, but look at me. Look at me, not your fretting, fearful friends and colleagues. Look at me first. Worship disrupts us. It calls us to stop and to pay attention. So let me ask you a question. Here's your, here's your moment. I'd like you to put it into the, into the chat, if you will, and if you would talk about it perhaps with each other. Um, let me have you ask, ask you to consider this question. Let me just put it on the screen for you. What helps you to focus on hearing God's voice during the season of self-quarantine? What do you need to be able to stop what you're doing and hear God's voice? What helps? I'll give you a couple of moments. And what you'll realize is immediately what we have is an entire community of people who can together help us together pay attention to God by sharing the things that help us. One of the things for me is that I need other people to help me not pay attention just to myself. It's one of the things I miss most about being in worship is that I need a gathered community very often to keep me from focusing on myself. God says, look at me and take the focus off of yourself. Listen for my voice. Make me the first focus of your life every day. Which is why what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 22 is even more disruptive, even to worship. In our text, Jesus is being tested. That's what we see. Uh, the Pharisees ask him a chivalrous kind of question. It's really a way of saying, okay, if he can't get this one right, this is as basic as it gets. If he can't get with this one right, we can't trust him with anything. So let's find out if he knows this one, right? What is the greatest commandment? And we see that he nails the answer. This is the answer that every kid would have known, everybody would know. If you don't know this one, it's like it's like not knowing John 3, 6, 3, 6 it's showing up at a church service while we teach Sunday school, or it's not under knowing the Lord's prayer or having something else like that. It's like the most basic thing you would learn, because this is the verse, if you will, of the Hebrew scriptures. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. What is it most important? Love God. Love God. This is what you teach your kids every single day, which is what you say when they wake up. It's what you say when you put them to bed. It's what you say when they walk out the door and when they come back in the door. It's why uh, literally there are homes that have, um, have these little pieces where they have that verse written on, in a scroll and it's put on the door frame so that you can touch it on the way through and remind yourself that whatever you do today, you are to love God with everything you have. Love God, love God first, love God most, love God with everything. The most important thing is for you to love God. And when Jesus answers right out of this verse, which comes right out of Deuteronomy 6, it's called the Shema, right? When Jesus gives the answer to the Shema, I think everybody there sighed. They, relieved, they were relieved. They might have smiled. Okay, Rabbi knows his stuff. He was trained. He had good folks. But then he screws it up. He absolutely disrupts the Shema. He takes this thing that is the most important thing, and he decides to taint it by cramming in a verse from Leviticus, an obscure verse from Leviticus, a chapter in Leviticus where we would never have used any of the rest of the verses in the exact same way. But he takes it and he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. They asked him for one most important thing, and he gave them two. Not only did he show that he was bad at math, 
but that he didn't have the right understanding of what's most important. Or did he? It's worth pausing here to note that um, what he said was a biblical answer. And what's worth pausing here to note that there are some scholars who think that this might have been actually been when everybody began to turn on him, that this might have been the moment when that led more to his crucifixion, because you don't mess with the Shema, you don't mess with the essentials. And you don't mess with the essentials by giving something that's important and making it essential. Uh, think about this for a second. Imagine the next time we're, we're receiving new members, we decide that we are going to say the Apostles' Creed, which we usually do. And right at the end, as we're all standing together saying the Apostles' Creed, we end with, I believe in the resurrection of the body and life everlasting. And one voice came from the congregation and said, and that everybody would tithe. It's an important thing, but you wouldn't cram it into the Apostles' Creed. Or that everybody should read their Bible every day. Really important thing. But you put it in the Apostles' Creed. Or that everybody should care about justice. Hmm? Wow. But do you put it in the Apostles' Creed? You see, the Creed is about the essential thing, the most important thing. This is what it means to believe. It's most essential. And that's what the Shema was. And Jesus takes the most important thing and he edits it. He disrupts it. And he basically helps us know that at this moment, he has the most radical idea that loving your neighbor is as important as loving God. And that changes everything. With God, we look to God and we listen to God's voice. And then because of our neighbor, we learn to listen to their voice and see their need. And this is a radically, truly radical idea. Worship disorients us away from ourselves to God. But God, who has every right to have our full attention, points our attention to our neighbor. This is actually why this was so incredibly radical. And it caught on and it made a difference in Christianity. In the fourth or fifth century, in the fourth and fifth century, there were a group of monastics who went out into the wilderness, who um, monks who they were, they were by themselves. They lived out in the wilderness, many of them by themselves. They forsaked everything. They lived in poverty. They, some of them mostly fasted most of the day. They lived without much food or clothing and great um, kind of extremists so that they could seek the face of God. And one of them named Abhijan was sought out by um, some seekers who wanted to find out what it meant to live the most important thing. And a desert, this desert monk, Abba John, would ask the question, what do I need to do to please God with my life? And Abba John answered, you don't build a house by starting with the roof and working down, you start with the foundation. And they said, what does that mean? They are asking, what is the foundation of faith? What's the most important thing? What do you build everything on? And his answer, this one who left everything, is not prayer or poverty or worship. It is the foundation is our neighbor whom we must win. Our neighbor is where we start. Every commandment of Christ depends on this, our neighbor. The foundation is our neighbor. The neighbor is where we must start. The needs of the neighbor is most important. Where other religions claim that to seek the divine is the highest good, the God who has every right to have us focus all of our attention on God tells us to look at our neighbor. 
So when I'm training Lindy, it's usually not just to get her attention on me, even though I like looking at her face and it's fun when she wags her tail and I'm the most important thing in her vision, at least for a moment. It helps me to forget and forgive her for eating all the strawberries. But it's because at that moment, I want to direct her to where we're supposed to go. And so I say, Lindy, look at me. Let's go. Lindy, look at me. Let's go. And this is exactly what I think Jesus says with us. Jesus comes to us and says to us over and over and over again, don't look to yourself, even look to me and then follow me. Follow me as we go into the world to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ by loving our neighbor. And for most of us, that is as difficult as taking our attention off ourselves. Because our focus upon ourselves often keeps us from seeing our neighbor. That's exactly what Jesus was saying in the story of the Good Samaritan when he was trying to remind people that, the good, that uh, when he was asked the same question uh, by a lawyer, what's the most important commandment? He put it back on him. The lawyer got the question right, got both parts. Must have heard Jesus say this in some other place. Love God and love your neighbor. And Jesus says, you've answered well, just do that. And because the do that part is always harder than the believe or say part, he immediately started a debate. So what do you mean by neighbor? Jesus tells a parable about people who are so busy, including religious people who are so busy, that they miss the point, that the neighbor is the one who is in need. And what really matters if you're people who look to God is that you see the need of your neighbor and do something about it. I learned this the hard way. It was a bad day at the office for me, I, except it wasn't in our office. I actually had an opportunity um, shortly after I took the position I had at Fuller. My job is to basically take all of Fuller's research and resources and give them directly out to the church as generously as we possibly can and sustainably as we possibly can. And to serve the church and serve church leaders and serve people who, even if they don't need our graduate degrees, they want our research. They trust us and they want our voice and they want what we offer. And so our job is to figure out how to make that happen. And early on, one of our trustees came to me and said, you know, Slice is going to try to do something kind of new and innovative at a pretty traditional institution. Why don't you come and talk to some people who are really good at that? So I flew to Silicon Valley. I was in one of those very famous streets in an office, uh, in a lawyer's office, um, talking with people who worked in some of those famous tech companies. Some of them were venture capitalists. Others of them were consultants. And they basically said to me, let's, let's help you think through this whole strategy that you're trying to do here. So tell us what it is you want to do. I said, Fuller really wants to serve the church. We want to serve church leaders. We want to figure out how to make our research and our resources available in, in a different way. And to do it in such a way that, that we can actually sustain it over time. I said, great. So give us your pitch. Pretend that we're going to fund this like you're coming as a startup. We're not giving you any money, but we'll give you our advice. So I gave them a 10-minute pitch on why we thought this was such an important thing to do, that they would actually rearrange the school and put somebody in charge of it, administration and whatnot. And when I got finished, they were all looking at each other, smiling. And the guy looked at me and said, you've been giving that little talk around Fuller a lot, haven't you? I said, yeah, actually, faculty and staff and people I got to recruit and trustees I got to you know, convince that it's a good idea. And they said, great, that makes sense. Because what you just did is gave us a little talk on why this would be good for Fuller why this whole initiative would be really good for your organization. Here's what you need to know, Todd. Nobody out there cares about your organization. What they care about is whether your organization cares about them. This is the moment that we're in at the churches too, right? We work really hard 
to make sure we can sustain as a congregation. But what the community cares about is whether we care about them. The venture capitalist continued, and this was really a bad moment for me. He said, you know, you need to get out and listen to people, hear their pain points, understand what, where they have some need, and try to serve them. You know, it's a little bit like Jesus said when he said that our most important thing for us is to love our neighbor. It's a bad day when the venture capitalist is telling the theology professor a Bible story. Because just like everybody else, I start thinking about myself and the people I love and the organization and the school that I love. So we're taught once again that what's really important is the love of neighbor. Really important. Look at me, God said. Let's go. Okay, let me ask you one more question. Have you crowdsourced this one too? Usually at the what I learned as a in my preaching classes a couple of years ago, is that you always want to land the plane. You want to give some people some practical ways to live. So how do we do that? And so one of the questions that we want to think about is how do we help better see our neighbor? What would help us? So instead of me giving you an answer, why don't we give them to each other? So here, here's the question for you again. What helps you to better see your neighbor during the season of quarantine? What are the practices that you do? What keeps you from just looking at yourself? What helps you to not be like those people who scurried by, busy with what they're doing? What helps you? And put it into the comments. And we'll gather those together. We'll share those best practices. And maybe together we'll learn some things. This is really important because love of neighbor is at the core of the motivation for what we do. Simon Sinek, who's a leadership teacher and speaker, has this great phrase, he says. He says, people don't care what you do, they care why you do it. People care way more about your motivation than they care about your strategy or your tactics. They want to know the deep reason why you exist. I would say that from out right now, people won't care whether we gather in worship or whether we don't if we don't understand our motivation for doing so. Why do we do what we do? Why do we gather on Sunday mornings when we can? Because we love God. And why do we stay in social distancing when we can? Because we are to love our neighbor. Why do we exist? Because we love our neighbor as much as we love God. Because that's what Jesus told us to do. So what are some of the ways that we can do so? What are some of the ways that we can put it out there for us and be able to hear. Some of the conversations that people talk about a lot is that we try to put, um, try to put myself in their shoes, empathize with people. If we see their need, we might be able to give more to their need. Some of the things that some of the folks have talked about is being able to be able to think about and see the actual needs of our neighbor. I know in my case, walking my dog has helped me meet a bunch more of my neighbors. Someone said, slowing down, take a deep breath, see those around me, say thank you, look into their eyes. Have you noticed that having to wear a mask means you've got to communicate even more through your eyes? And that how you have to go slower when you're social distancing so that people won't because people are fearful? What does it mean for us to see our neighbor? Let's pray together. Lord, help us to look to you, to listen to you, to hear your voice, 
hear the voice of our neighbors. Help us to learn to say yes to the people around us, even when it's uncomfortable, to focus more about what will help others than about ourselves. Help us as a community of faith become more focused on our neighbor with the exact same zeal and love and passion we have for you. Help us be faithful, we pray. Faithful to what Jesus taught us. 